This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. Resurrection. Today we're going to be talking about resurrection, but not only resurrection, but also bodily resuscitation. So is there a difference between resurrection and bodily resuscitation? We're going to be exploring how those people who put together the scriptures, the community of the Israelites in that second temple time, we're talking, you know, a couple hundred years before Jesus Christ up until his time, like what, what, what did they think resurrection meant? Uh, how did it work? Even what did they think salvation was? Things, things of that sort. And in particular, today, I'd like to ask Father Jeffrey about the difference between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrections of other people, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I remember pitching this episode to you. I said, why don't we celebrate the widow's son? with a widow of Nain, her son who died, Jesus raises him from the dead. Why don't we celebrate his resurrection with as much gusto as we do the resurrection of Jesus Christ? They both are resurrected, right? Isn't that super miraculous? Like, isn't, aren't those equally as miraculous as well as um, uh, other resurrections that exist? So maybe to start father Jeffrey, um, it might be worth beginning with a little bit of the conception of, maybe Sheol or the realm of the dead, and maybe the hope that one day God would raise those dead, but also perhaps a little bit of the idea of, no, no, let's start there. Uh, is that is that a good enough thing to bite off right at the beginning? I think it's probably a good place to start, sure. Yeah, so uh, Sheol, the realm of death, what is it? Okay, so there is a progressive understanding in the scriptures of what we might eventually call resurrection. We know this already from the Gospels, right? Because there's a dispute over resurrection amongst different Jews, right? So the Pharisees and the Sadducees famously uh, have an argument over resurrection. So that should, you know, twig you to thinking this is not a straightforward theological principle that has always been known and so forth. And in fact, of those two groups, the Sadducees who don't believe in a individual resurrection from the dead and the, the Pharisees, you know, who do, uh, you know, the, the Sadducees are representing a kind of older tradition, right? So that the Pharisees, you could say, are the, the modern liberals, you know, in, in this, you know, theological uh, development, because it's a, a, in the later stages, really under Second Temple uh, Judaism, uh, which is to say from the reconstruction of the temple around the year 516, upon the return of some of those who had gone into exile in Babylon, that Second Temple period lasts until 70 AD with the destruction of the temple by by the Romans. So that's what we call Second Temple Judaism. And, and the idea of the resurrection of individuals or persons emerges during that period. The earlier period is, you know, shadowy, unclear. There's references to, to those who are departed in a kind of shady, shadowy kind of uh, place called the pit or Sheol. Um, it's in the Second Temple Judaism that 
with the contact with Hellenism, that that uh, approximation or, or kind of linking of Sheol or the pit with something like Hades comes along. Hades is, of course, the the, the Greek pagan underworld, though the world of, of the dead, to which mortals sometimes descend and return. You know, there's some of the myths and, and so forth. So it's, it's not a an inaccessible place, although it's sort of extraordinary when that happens, but you cross the river Styx and it's governed by, you know, the various gods of the underworld and, and so forth. Well, the, the language of Hades gets attracted to what the Hebrew understanding of, you know, the kind of the realm of the departed is. So in that earlier tradition, resurrection isn't a personal individual thing. If there is any sort of notion of resurrection, it is um, a kind of national resurrection. It's it's the resurrection of the people after a time of exile. And of course, a lot of the experience of Israel had been either slavery in Egypt or you know oppression by the various powers around, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and, and so forth. So a lot of the scriptures come out of an experience of of national oppression. And so, you know, famously, you know, a prophet like Ezekiel, you know, in, in chapter 37, this is a passage we read on um on, on the evening of Holy Friday, which is about the, all the bones, you know, prophesy to the bones and, and all the, the kind of joints and sinews and everything will kind of be knit together. And that, you know, that character will, those bones will, will form people and they will rise. Well, this is in the first place, a, a symbol of the national resurrection, you know, of Israel. And if there was any sort of sense of, of life beyond death. It was like your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. It was the legacy and, and so forth. So in that early period, national resurrection features, um, and, and, and also the sense that it, what matters is, is that you have children to come after you, and they will kind of give you an ongoing sense of life and so forth. But, but in Second Temple Judaism, and this is where the Pharisees are formed, they're formed initially with the formation of synagogues in in Babylon and so forth in the absence of a temple so the study of torah and of scripture becomes you know really important and it's it, within this period and we see this for example in the the maccabees for example where the the maccabean martyrs are confident that they will be vindicated that that not just the nation will be resurrected but that they themselves if they stand up to tyranny if they stand up stand up to the desecration of the temple if they stand up for for the jewish covenant markers like circumcision and ritual purity and food laws and they stand up for their identity as followers of the one true god then god will vindicate them right and you see this in the second temple literature um in some of the later prophets uh we see this in uh, revisions to some of the earlier books like in in the book of uh, of job which is an early, early story, but you get in the, the Greek version of that uh, an expression that, you know, my Redeemer is going to live and one day Job will, will be resurrected and so forth. And we read that too on, on Holy Friday. Um, and so there's this entrance into the theology of Israel, Second Temple Judaism, of the idea of personal vindication. If you are truly faithful to God, God will not allow you forever to die, but there will be a kind of resurrection. And this gets all tied up in the day of the Lord, right? The coming of the Messiah. What will be the core marker that the, the day of the Lord has come? It will be resurrection. The, and the, this, the expectation, of course, is that all faithful people all those faithful to Yahweh, the true God, will be resurrected, even though they have died. And so 
the messianic age, the day of the Lord, resurrection, all become key themes by the time, you know, of the first century in Palestine, when our Lord enters the scene in his earthly ministry and his discussions with, with other Jews and so forth. This, these are the themes that are, that are in play. And so resurrection, the idea of life from death is a core idea in, in the Jewish Israelite faith, but also very much tied up with the coming of the Messiah and the end, the, the, the inauguration of the life of the age to come. And the expectation in Judaism was that this age, this present age, this corrupt age would end suddenly and the day of the Lord would initiate a new age, right? So what happens in Jesus is a little bit surprising. And, uh, and that's where, you know, some of the discussion and disputes of, of the New Testament come. And we can maybe talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, to recap a little bit and to maybe ask for some clarification. So, you know, at the, let's say at the time of Jesus, so Jesus is walking around. There are many different kinds of groups of Israelites, right? It's not that everyone has one view of how this all works. And two of those main groups being the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if my understanding is correct, and you can, you can make higher the resolution of my low resolution picture here, Father. Um, mm-hmm. The the Pharisees, in their in what they consider to be some of those scriptural scrolls, they they would include in their study of scripture things like the writings of the prophets, the words talk about the day of the Lord. They would you know those Ezekiel, the dry bones, or all that. They they would have this. Um, they those they would actually study those as part of their um, uh, faith. Then, but but the Sadducees, my understanding is that they purposely did not include some of those scrolls in their study that it would they they tried to remain faithful to just the scrolls of the torah the the, the five scrolls of moses and just reading those and it, it, do i have that right that there's there's even a, a tension as to which kinds of scripture were authoritative in those in those schools you may be thinking more of the Samaritans who only had oh, the, okay. the five books of the Torah. The Sadducees, though, were not interested in the study of scripture full stop, right? Uh, they, they were concerned with the temple and sacrifice and so forth. So the, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the, the last things to be written in that exile, post-exile period is the book of Leviticus, which is all about how priests you know, operate in how you do sacrifice in the temple uh, and how you carry that on. And for the, for other Jews, you know, the temple was a compromised temple. It was under Roman control. You, you had to collude with the, with empire and power and oppression in order to keep it going. And so the Sadducees were this kind of, you know, colluding, you know, body, but that what they kept going was the, the system of atonement and sacrifice at the heart of, uh, of Jewish liturgical practice. Right. So, but they were mostly concerned with, you know, those, those ritual laws. And, and as I say, the, the book of Leviticus, which is that priestly, you know, book, uh, within, uh, the Torah. Uh, but it, it's not so much that they would, would have neglected the, the prophets any more than they neglected any other part of scripture. They were just mostly concerned with ritual and, 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 and sacrifice. Oh, okay. And, and so forth. But what they did definitely reject was the, the Pharisaic idea that, you know, after death, you will experience personal resurrection on the day of the Lord if you are a faithful member of the covenant community. They just, they, mm-hmm. they that's why they were making a mockery of, of, of certain, um, you know, legal, uh, you know, prescriptions like, you know, if you, if you, 
if a man dies, the woman marries her brother and then his brother and brother, and who, whose wife will, will she be in the resurrection? Ha ha. You know, clearly, you know, this idea of resurrection is, is a nonsense, right? Is, is there kind of proposition here, right? And Jesus gives a, a sort of clever answer, you know, to that. But the, the point is the Sadducees don't believe in this personal resurrection. The Pharisees do. And, and clearly Jesus is from the Pharisaic party because that's precisely what he enacts right is is personal resurrection and shows that this and as the apostles will say this is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead of all god's people okay so we've we've painted out a picture of you know these these people at the time of jesus there's different ideas of what resurrection means one of these ideas could be something like a national resurrection like one day god will vindicate his nation of israel and they will you know um sit on top of the other nations, so to speak. But then you also, some Jews were like, oh, not only that, actually one way that that'll be manifest is through the actual resurrection of us who have died will rise and participate in that new kingdom. Um, and is so am I getting that right? That those are sort of the maybe two of the big yeah. disagreements or one of the big disagreements between what resurrection meant, at least at the time that Jesus was living? Yeah, and and obviously it does come up in the form of disagreement. We see that in the pages of of the gospel. But you know, to construe it as a kind of ongoing disagreement is to miss actually the point that there was a whole lot of different ideas circulating. You know, full stop. You know, about the Messiah, about you know how God would actually come to redeem His people. Anyway, you know, is it through you know political uh, overthrow of the Romans? Is it by going into the desert like the Essenes and and just having a very ascetic, you know, form of life and waiting it out for, for the, the teacher of righteousness to come and, and, and redeem them? Is it, you know, more like the Pharisees who thought that when well, we need to keep the law fully, only if we keep Torah will, will God, you know, be prepared to come and, and deliver us and so forth? Or is it indeed by keeping the sacrificial system going? So all of this is, is in play anyway. And so amidst all of that, there are these different ideas about resurrection that maybe even are cross-cutting. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, dispute the idea there might have been a Sadducee here or there who believed in the resurrection and Pharisees who maybe doubted it. So, so then let's talk a little bit about in the Old Testament, you have these stories of prophets who raised people from the dead, um, you know, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we read those on, on Holy Saturday, actually, those accounts of resurrections. What would, what would these people at the time of Jesus, when they read those stories, were they imagining this as, were they imagining these resurrections as like a foretaste of a, res, a full resurrection? Were they imagining it as sort of a merely bodily resuscitation and they weren't really dead? Were they imagining it as a symbol? This is a metaphorical story to talk about the fact that a prophetic figure will come and raise up the nation. Like, I, what was, how did people at the time that Jesus was walking around Jerusalem, how would people have been talking about those kinds of stories? Yeah. And I know we use the word resurrection, you know, to cover some of this. Um, but there is an obvious distinction to make. And St. Paul makes this, you know, for us in, in Romans chapter six, right? Uh, there's resurrection and then there's resurrection. Uh, in Jesus's case, 
what is singular about this and why early Christians who look to Jesus as the Messiah, who follow him as the Messiah, why this is seen as a definitive sign of the life of the age to come, having broken in, although in a curious way that wasn't expected, and I'll talk about that in a moment. What is different is, as St. Paul says, is Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 9, we know that Christ, the Messiah, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Again, death no longer has dominion over him. Okay? So being raised from the dead, Jesus will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In all these other things that we maybe loosely term resurrections, right? We think of the, the son of the widow of Zarephath or the, the Shunammite woman's son uh, for Elisha. The, uh, even we, we spoke about Jonah in the last episode and so forth, and he may have died and come back. But in all these cases, they died again, right? Um, this was This was not that permanent resurrection that was being looked for, certainly by Pharisees and the Jews who followed that way of thinking that there will be a personal resurrection from the dead. So in that regard, you could say, if you were a Sadducee in the first century and you were reading, you know, the uh, Deuteronomist uh, historian who wrote, you know, books like uh, the books of the Kings, where those stories of Elijah and Elisha are found, or indeed, if you're reading uh, Jonah, you're not alarmed to find that God in his great mercy and dis- demonstration of his power has resuscitated a corpse because that person ended up dying again. It's not actually a sign in, a, in the purest sense of what Jesus comes and does. It's not a sign or a proof of what the Pharisees say is possible, that God will raise all permanently from the dead to live in this newness of life that will be permanent, that will be everlasting right? So as a Sadducee, you're not alarmed. All you say is, look how powerful God is, right? God who, who, can, who can cause things to die, God who can bring things back to, to life. And it's all part of that, you know, kind of larger story of death and life and so forth. I mean, they would still argue, you know, follow God and do the right things. Keep Torah, certainly keep the ritual, you know, um, sacrifices and purity, you know, that are kind of what they viewed as the heart of of keeping covenant with God, but they don't necessarily view these as anything other than resuscitations of corpses that as a sign of God's love and his grace and, and, and of his mercy that he can take things from death into life. So they are not in this case or this in this category of death no longer having dominion over them. Now for the other party, you know, the Pharisees and, and the early Jesus followers, reading backwards, you know, from certainly from the resurrection of Jesus, these can be seen as the foreshadowing, the the signs of, but they are not, including all those cases in the gospels or indeed in Acts, right? Where we have resuscitations. You mentioned the son of, of the widow of Nain. Interestingly, you know, Jesus in in the Gospel of Luke even refers to the the Elijah's raising of the son of the the widow of Zarephath, right? And that's only a few chapters before he goes and meets the that, that cortege, the funeral cortege, leading leaving the city of Nain, and, and he raises out of his own compassion the the, the son of the woman, you know, who, who has no husband, who's, who's a widow fr- from the dead. So the the connection is made in the Gospels themselves, you know, between these incidents, but they are all resuscitations right because they are not uh they're not the same you know resurrection life that jesus exemplifies after his own and being raised you know from the dead now that's i admit 
a question of faith, right? It's a question of us taking you know, some stock of what those resurrection accounts are in the Gospels or about what St. Paul says about those who saw Jesus, you know, because uh, it's it's easy enough for someone else to say, and it has been argued through through the centuries by by those who want to dispute, you know, those who follow Jesus, that that possibly at most, you know, what we had was a resuscitation of Jesus's corpse, that he rose, that he went off and died somewhere else. And the only reason we have an empty tomb is that there's a different tomb somewhere, you know, where he eventually died. And that has been a case, you know, there's been an argument made for that, that there is such a thing, examples in human history of resuscitations, that is that what Jesus experienced. That's not what Christians believe. It's not what those of us who see indeed in what happens to Jesus, this inauguration of the resurrection that Pharisees had expected and, and other Jews, and that really is the the, the hallmark of, of the life of, of the age to come, of the inauguration of it. Now, what is unusual and what was not expected is that it's the resurrection of one before all the others. You see, the what had been expected on the day of the Lord is that all the faithful would rise and be participants in the fullness of, of God's life, you know, in his creational purposes for, for the whole world. This new heaven and the new earth would all come in one go, right? And God would judge the nations and God would bring his people into, into glory. Well, what's happened here, and this is what the New Testament has to kind of deal with, the evangelists and, and the, the other apostolic writers, they have to take account of the fact that the resurrection of Jesus being this unique event has now taken place within history not at the end of it, but within it as a kind of beginning of an inauguration of uh, the, the life of the age to come, but that the fulfillment of that, the resurrection of all, what we call the general resurrection is yet to come. And so St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and elsewhere is at pains to talk about you know, Jesus being the first fruits of that and how that's a sign, if we put our faith in that, of what can also happen to us. But it's not what the Pharisees were expecting, right? Or the other Jews who were looking for a resurrection. They thought Messiah comes, all will be resurrected. God's righteousness will prevail. The hated, you know, powers of this world would be emptied and, and, and shown to be emptied of their power. Now we believe that's happened in the cross, in the Christ's resurrection, but that it's visible currently only for those who have eyes of faith. So there's where you get the the kind of complication and why the Christian message was a difficult one, you know, for, for some to, to receive because it doesn't look like what some many had been expecting, right? Yeah, we, we are expecting the Messiah, but where's the shalom? You know, where is the end of tyranny? Where is the end of sin? Where is ultimately the end of death? And we've talked, you know, previous episode about how we aren't subject to death if we're baptized in the fullest sense of what death means, but we do still die and we do still await the general resurrection. So those are the kinds of parameters here. But what we're definitely talking about, apart from Jesus, there has been no other resurrection in that fullest sense, no other resurrection into the new creation, no other resurrection into that kind of spiritual body and newness of life that St. Paul talks about, or indeed the resurrection accounts of Jesus indicated show to us you know the kind of body that is consistent with what we have before but but different not even recognizable at times it bears the scars and yet you know the the disciples find hard it hard to to kind of figure out is that really jesus it, it 
the body is capable of going through physical walls and yet is physical and tangible, right? So there's these characteristics of that. That wouldn't have been the case with, you know, Jairus's daughter or the, the, the son of the widow of Nain or indeed, you know, the, those that were resurrected or raised from the dead by Elijah and Elisha and, and, and those other cases, which are resuscitations of, of, of dead bodies. Or indeed that great one that we haven't spoken about, the, the so-called resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus went on to die, right? Uh, and, and awaits just like we will, the, the general resurrection from the dead of all. I remember hearing Father Hopko talk about all these people that Jesus rose from the dead for more life on this earth. And, and he phrased it that way. He, they're raised from the dead for more life in this age. And that uh, he's, he, he said that in the hagiogra- hagiographical tradition of the church, all of them died as martyrs. So that they not only were raised for more life, they were raised for more suffering. Right. And to witness to ultimately the, that ultimate resurrection, which is that of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, it, the picture you paint, you know, every, every Easter rolls around and there's this, you know, perhaps offensive way that some people will talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they'll say things like a zombie Jesus, right? This Jesus that sort of puts his arms straight out ahead of him and kind of bodily resuscitates and walks around. And, um, it's a way of kind of, of, of people trying to poke fun at the, at the whole resurrection narrative. And, they're not the first ones to do that, um, but I can see how, I can see how the the apostles, the disciples, the various Israelites at the time of Jesus, when that when his resurrection happens, it's different enough for them to be confused, but it's there's still enough to go on for it to kind of begin to make sense. You know what I mean? Like that, it's not like no one ever believed there was going to be any kind of resurrection at all. It was, there is going to be a kind of resurrection or, or at least for the Pharisees, you know, there's when he appears and and they start to think, what, how do we explain these experiences we're having with this, with Jesus Christ? They had some language to talk about it right from their own tradition. And and Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures and and they begin to see his story and, and the reality that he is, represented in those scriptural stories. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to say, I think there was enough shelf space for some of those Israelites to, to begin to understand what this all means. Yeah. And what's fascinating, obviously, is how Jesus spends the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension with his disciples, right? That, uh, I mean, he, he takes long walks in the country with them. He does barbecues on the beach, uh, but most of the time is spent in Bible study, right? He says, search the scriptures, search the Torah of Moses, the the prophets, the writings, and you will understand everything. So what the invitation is, and, and this is, you know, one of our ongoing recurring themes, maybe the dominant theme of, of this whole podcast, right, is in the enacting of the narrative of the scriptures, we will find the meaning of all things, right? And it's precisely what Jesus directs his disciples, you know, to do. If you're trying to make sense of this, go back to the scriptures. Now look at them anew, look at them afresh. And yeah, it may have been the expectation that all things are going to come crashing to a halt and the new age just starts like this, you know, but in actual fact, there's this time that has been created, this overlap of the ages for precisely the proclamation of 
who the Lord is, that he's visited his people, that he's forming a new people after his name, that he's bringing new creation. That's the time that's been created by the overlap of the ages. That wouldn't have been possible, you know, had, you know, that resurrection of Jesus just meant, okay, now everybody on the, at the same time who is already part of this gets to share in, in this new life. There would be no time. There would be no space for what Jesus turns around and tells his disciples to go and do, makes them apostles and says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, go out, right? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what the overlap of the ages is all about. It's not what was expected, but it makes sense if you revisit the scriptures and understand what has happened in the passion, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus in light of those scriptures, right? So look again at what those stories were foretelling. Look again at what those prophets were talking about. And you'll see that in actual fact, this all makes sense. And, you know, is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? The, the disciples ask. It's not for you to know the times or periods, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to go and do this thing, to proclaim this resurrection, this new creation to the whole world. And then, you know, as they're gazing up to heaven, you know, the angels say, why are you looking up there? <laughs> Get busy, right? Jesus, the same one who you've seen taken up into heaven will, will come in the same way. And he will come with power and authority and all of this will be wrapped up, right? But, but, but this resurrection is the beginning of all that. It's the sign that the, 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 the game is in play. Right, the you know in in Narnian terms, Aslan is on the move. Right, and uh, what you need to do is just notice that, live that, and eventually all that this means will be fulfilled. The resurrection of Jesus, which is this permanent new way of being in creation of of heaven and earth coming together and God's glory shared, you know, and, and covering the whole world like the, you know, like the water covers the seas, as it says in the Psalms. And and that uh, is, you know, that's what we are to proclaim. That's what we are to live. And, and it's all staked on this fundamental fact of Christ's resurrection as this sign of that new creation, the new age. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Vladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.